Well, we have our sermon today that is titled, A Living Sacrifice for Christ's Body. And it's from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. So if you can open up your copy of God's Word to Romans 12, verse 3, we'll have a chance to read this together and just encourage you guys to keep your Bibles open as we study. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a Bible on your phone or something, grab the Pew Bible in front of you and and, uh, open that up and study along with us as we aim to better understand what God would have us learn. Romans 12, verse 3. Read along with me. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. In the sense of reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Well, our bodies are incredible. And the more that we study the human body, the more we get a sense of awe and even worship for our creator. Our wonderful design is really meant to guide us to know who God is. God says he shows himself through the things that are made. And so listen to some astonishing facts about the body from National Geographic and uh, Science Daily. Here's a couple of fun facts. Our fingers are so sensitive, sensitive that if your finger was the size of the earth, you could feel the difference between a house and a car. It's pretty incredible. Nerve impulses travel in your body at speeds of up to 250 miles per hour. When you blush, so too does the lining of your stomach blush. You wondered where the fluttery butterflies came from? That's it. Humans are incredibly hairy. Just as hairy, in fact, as chimpanzees. Most of our hairs, however, are too fine to see. Your mouth produces between a half a liter to one and a half liters of saliva every single day. And in fact, if you didn't have that, you'd have a really hard time eating. When we're growing, lose about nine pounds of skin cells every year. In our lives, we lose about 80 pounds of skin over our lifetime. Most of that dust you see floating around, guess what that is? It's you. With 60,000 miles of blood vessels, if you laid them out end to end, a single human's blood vessels would wrap around the earth at the equator two and a half times. As Psalm 139 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. With such a perfectly designed body, it makes sense that God would use the body as a metaphor for the church. 
It's a beautiful picture of a diverse group of people integrated into one body so that we can worship and serve and disciple and encourage each other, ultimately for the glory of God. And just as it is unnatural and frankly unsustainable for a dismembered hand to survive out all alone in the cold, so too are Christians not designed to function outside of the context of a healthy local body of Christ, a, a church. Church is not just some optional, good if you have time part of God's program. No, the church is God's central means of redeeming the nations and gathering a people from every tongue and tribe into a new family. In the Old Testament, for example, God shows Abraham's family to be set apart, to be the central focus of his work in the world. And now, under the new covenant, God adopts men and women from all nations into his family. And so, as we go and make disciples of Christ in all nations, we baptize them in his body, which of course is a church. The great mission mandate of God isn't to go from land to land and do kind deeds to other people. It isn't to share the gospel, call for a response, and then just move on. It has always been that the mission mandate of the church is to make lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ and then help those disciples gather into a self-sustaining local church to help Christians function as a body. In fact, to become a Christian is often described as becoming one with Christ. And Christ's body isn't some universal spiritual idea. It is most frequently pictured as a local church. And so to be a Christian is to function with other Christians in his body. We are the visible manifestation of the body of Christ on earth. And even if we understand the centrality of the church in God's program, I think there are plenty of people who are confused about something like church membership. Plenty of people who, who think something like this. Well, church membership isn't really in the Bible, is it? I mean, why do people think that church membership is a big deal? That was me as a young man. I was confused about church membership. I don't think I quite understand. Let me show you specifically that membership, literally the word membership, is in the Bible. Go to Romans 12, verse 4 and 5. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Certainly, church membership isn't the same as Costco membership, where you sign up, you, you pay a yearly fee, and you get some privileges, like getting sweet deals on bulk items, right? That's what a lot of people think of as membership. Membership in the biblical sense and in a church sense is different than something like Costco membership. Church membership is about who we are as a Christ's body. It's more organic. It's more essential than something like Costco membership. Because some of you, 
I guess, like Sam's Club better than Costco. But you can choose membership, right? But, but Christ's body, we, we don't. We get to belong to a church family, and this is part of what it means to be a Christian. And you know what's intriguing about our text on church membership is how closely this concept of church membership is connected to the big picture command last week. The normal Christian life, as we saw in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, is a life that is wholly or completely devoted to glorifying God. In fact, since God has mercifully withheld his just punishment, his just wrath for our sins, and, and placed our punishment on Jesus in our place, and since we now have eyes to see and hearts to comprehend the greatness of Christ's sacrifice for us, and since God not only declares us to be right before him, but adopts us into his eternal family, promising to never leave nor forsake us, guiding us in all things and in our lives according to his good and sovereign purpose, then, so the argument goes, our lives should be lived as a sacrifice, really as an as a offering up to God. Look at 12 verse 1, right? Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And we rightly think of that in very personal terms. We fight to be different from the world, and so Paul commends us, do not be conformed to this world. We seek to then renew our minds and... and scripture and, and pray and try to understand what God wants of us as he tells us to do. In verse 2 he says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. But you understand by placing this concept of church membership right after these commands that these commands are not just private commands. This isn't just about you getting really good about being good all by yourself. See, Paul continues his argument about what it means to live your life as a sacrifice. He says, essentially, don't be prideful, verse 3, right? I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Don't be prideful about your ability to be a living sacrifice or renew your mind or, or put off the, the evil that you used to practice. No, he says, you're all a part of the same body, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. See, part of what it means to live your life sacrificially for the glory of God is to learn to function well as members of Christ's body. I find it helpful that one of the first ways Paul gives for living sacrificially is by integrating humbly into your church family. Your church life, your church involvement isn't just a nice add-on when you have time. Being faithful church member is, is essential Christianity. And so as we study our text this morning, we're going to see Five reasons you should stay integrated in your church. 
These are five benefits that come when you live as God designed you to live as an integrated member in his body. Now, perhaps you're visiting with us and you might be a Christian and you are interested in understanding more about what our church is about and we thank God for you and we're grateful that you're looking for a new church family and we want want you to take away from a sermon like this that officially becoming a member of a church is actually really important. It's what this text is about. Further, in the New Testament, pastors are called to watch over their flock to essentially know who is part of the flock and who's not. And local churches are described as a family, knowing who is part of the family. And church members are called to recognize and submit to their leaders. And so again and again, the New Testament commands for Christians really only make sense in the context of recognized church membership. So if you don't belong to a church, God wants you to belong to his body, to to a church. And now maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You, You might know things about Jesus, but you don't actually believe that he is the only way to be right with God. You don't actually believe that he ought to be the Lord or king of your life. You still think that you should rule your life. And so, We would first want you to understand that you need to learn to submit to Christ as Lord of all, to turn and recognize that he is the one who died for your sins so that you could have a right relationship with God. And so what we'll look at today is what you can enjoy after you become a Christian. Benefits and blessings of being a part of Christ's body. And so for the Christian, for the Christian member of our church, which most of you are, these are are benefits of staying integrated into your church. So the first reason you should stay integrated into your church family is one, to avoid pride. To avoid. We live in a me-centered world. Just ask the advertising gurus. Recently, Burger King went back to its roots with its slogan, have it your way. Uh, The the new vision or version of of this advertising campaign includes a new song called, You Rule. Creativity ad agency, OKRP, says... ...to people when you sell them first, not the brand... We're inviting them permission to feel like winners with Burger King as a small reward that makes their day just a little bit better. And so we tell them, you rule. And to borrow another ad campaign, if I sing ba-da-ba-ba-ba, what do you say? I'm loving it, right? Okay, if you're younger, you don't understand what that is. But those of us who are a little bit older, we all know what that is. Marketing appeals to what we want or what we think will make us happy or even what we think we need. I mean, who doesn't want to care for themselves a bit? Do you even realize that most beauty products today have now been rebranded as self-care products? 
subtle, but it's an important shift, isn't it? Out is the idea that we want to be beautiful. In is the idea that you just want to care for yourself, right? So get all these products and, you know, you'll care for yourself. Since this is the air that we breathe, this is the dominant worldview of our culture, it is very easy to fall into the trap that everything should cater to what we feel we need most. Everything should conform to what makes us feel right, including church. And if you ever find yourself looking for a church, a lot of times we we might even ask each other this question, well, what are you looking for in a church? Not necessarily a bad question, and what's bad about it is that we often hear this as a response, some long list of preferences, right? But the right answer to what are you looking for in a church is, I want my church to do what the Bible tells churches to do, right? And so part of what it means to be in a church body is to recognize that church isn't about your preferences. That God designed you to integrate into a church family with people who have different preferences than you have. And frankly, staying integrated into a church helps you avoid pride. And so Paul puts it like this in verse 3. Look at the beginning of verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Look, Paul's getting into your kitchen here. He looks at the entire church in the eye and he says, careful, you don't think you're all that because you aren't. Careful that you don't think the world revolves around you because it doesn't. And what gives Paul the right to speak like that? Well, he starts by saying in verse 3, it's by the grace that is given to me that I can say this. It's because God's grace in Paul's life means that he's called him to be an author of Scripture. He is called to be an apostle, a church planter, a pastor. And so since Paul has seen a thing or two in churches, Paul wants to make sure that you avoid a common pitfall that almost everybody will struggle with at some point in their life in a church. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think highly, more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Remember, God designed you to be a sacrifice. And so, as John Piper famously puts it, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him, not when we get everything we want, not when we're most satisfied in ourselves. When a series of ongoing tests, students in different countries were given a math test, and immediately following that math test, were given a self-esteem test on how they did, how they think they did in math. So there's kind of two sections to this test, and it was given all over the globe, and two things stood out very early on. Number one, Korea scored the highest in the actual math test, but the lowest in the self-esteem section. Number two, the U.S. scored the lowest in the math test, but by far the highest in the self-esteem test. And that trend has continued over the years. Different people have reigned on top, but that's essentially the correlation that these, these kind of researchers have come to understand. So simply thinking that you're really smart 
doesn't lead to you actually being smart. Perhaps we should rethink the maxims that we teach our children. You can be whatever you want to be. Just believe in yourself. What's sad is that these ideas filter into the church as well. A ladies' ministry leader by the name of Lisa Turkhurst was trying to help Christian women grow, and she encourages her readers to pursue healing through their own inner resources. And she writes this, There is an amazing person I want to make sure that you don't miss meeting. This one and only glorious you that you look at each day in the mirror. Beautiful, beautiful you. Now, certainly God wants to help us grow, and he does indeed see us as his precious adopted children, but the power to grow doesn't come when you recognize yourself to be beautiful. The power to grow doesn't even come from within. Whatever we have comes from God. And in order to see the gift giver, you got to be a little bit more humble than we're prone to be and learn to have an accurate assessment of ourselves. That's why we do things like pray a prayer of confession, because we want you guys to learn that this is a part of what Christians do. We confess sins to God because we sin, and we need God's forgiveness. And so when you're faithfully integrated in a church that preaches God's word, you are with a whole group of people who have the same goal, who want to live their lives as a sacrifice to God, who recognize healing and personal growth doesn't come from the power within, but comes from God's power without. Who realize part of God's way to help us grow is to identify sin, identify our weakness, and turn away from sin and trust in Christ alone for the strength that we need to grow and mature and change and learn to be holy as God is holy. See, God is the one who allows us to do what verse 2 says, right? To not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That comes from God. So the first reason you should stay integrated in your church is to avoid pride. The second reason is to recognize faith as God's gift. Recognize faith as God's gift. So how can we stay sober in self-judgment as Paul commends? Middle of verse 3, right? He says, but you should think with sober judgment. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment. How is this possible? I mean, even people who struggle with depression often wish people could just accept them for who they want to be or wish that more people would care about them enough to ask the right questions or to do the things that they wish that they would do. A lot of times we feel down because we don't feel like others love us as much as we deserve. It's just kind of a reverse form of pride, isn't it? So if we are so bent towards thinking highly of ourselves, then how can we learn to have a sober self-judgment? Well, the answer comes in the rest of verse 3. He says, you are to think with sober judgment each 
according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So the key is in the final words of verse 3. Think soberly with the measure of faith that God has assigned. Listen, we understand that there are times when our faith feels weak and other times when it feels strong. I mean, that's why Paul writes Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Look, I'm sure you experience this too. There are times when you feel like your faith in God is, is hanging by, by a thread. I bet there are times when you feel almost crushed by the weight of your responsibilities that you have yet to, to do this week, the, the weight of everything you're supposed to accomplish this next two, three, four days, or maybe you feel crushed by a, a fractured relationship. And the last thing you want to do in those moments where you feel crushed, when you feel like you, you can't go on, is to come to God. But even when we are weak, God still promises to give us a measure of faith for the moment. Other times, your, your faith is strong and nothing seems to get you down. You love the Lord. It's easy to draw near to him multiple times every day. You're just walking closely with him. And yet in either situation, whether we are weak or whether you're strong, should we think of ourselves Highly, as verse 3 says, absolutely not. We should think with a sober, accurate judgment, even about our faith. He says, think with a sober judgment, verse 3, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Commentator Tom Schreiner says this, Pride is eliminated when you recognize that the faith that you have is a gift of God, not the result of your own virtue. Such arrogance is ruled out if we truly grasp that our faith is a gift of God, as Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us. For by grace you've been saved by faith, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. So whatever measure of faith you have, whether you feel it's weak or strong, the simple fact that you still come to God, that you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, points us back to the giver of every gift, faith included. So guard your thinking and direct it to the giver of all. Remember, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that, that who gave? That God has assigned. Beloved, this is what we're doing here this morning. This is what we do every week when we gather together. We gather together to help encourage each other to, to wait on the Lord, to exercise the measure of faith that God gives. And so we sang Psalm 130, I will wait for you, right? I will wait for you, surely wait for you till my soul satisfied. We sang to one another, so put your hope in God alone. Take courage in his power to save. We sang to each other, now he has come to make a way and God himself has paid the price that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice. This is what the body of Christ does. 
We encourage one another to persevere, to think honestly about ourselves, and to recognize faith as God's gift. When he's the giver, we can always thrive in him. Well, there's a third reason to stay integrated in your church. Third reason to stay integrated. Number three, to appreciate diversity in Christ's body. To appreciate diversity in Christ's body. Part of the wonder of the body is the incredible diversity in all the body parts. And taken by themselves, they are quite interesting, like your tongue. When you ever think about the tongue, right? You ever see a cow tongue? It's not too appealing. Well, yours is just a smaller version of that, and it's just this giant hunk of flesh. It's a giant muscle, really, that is essential to your ability to talk and to eat. And your opposable thumbs, right? Without those, it's really hard to pick up everything that you wanted to pick up today, even to write. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 puts it like this. We're going to look there next week, so just listen as I read 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make, not make the eye any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were in the ear, or were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so was the church. God gave us a church with many members to help us appreciate the diversity in God's work. He didn't save all the same type of people. We have unique abilities. We have unique backgrounds. We have unique strengths. In fact, if a sociologist came into our church and did some background investigation into all of us sitting here this morning, I can guarantee our differences would confound him. I mean, sociologists think that Religion is just kind of what happens when all these people who have similar backgrounds get together and kind of have a group think session. The fact of the matter is, we all come from very different backgrounds. I have the privilege of knowing a lot of those backgrounds for many of you. And, and a lot of you, it's like, but by the grace of God, you would not be in here this morning, right? It's not like you were raised in a good situation. You, by God's grace, came into this situation. And so we understand God is the one who miraculously knits and builds his body. Each local church really is a miracle of God bringing us together as a body. And so, looking at Romans 12, verse 4, Paul writes these words. For as in one body, we have many members. Again, that concept that 1 Corinthians 12 talks about. There's all these different types of members. We all have different functions. We all have different uh, ways of, of serving. Well, there's different types. There's not just all one eye. We have an ear. We have an eye. We have a nose. We have everything. And the members do not all have the same function, he continues. Paul says, you want to stay humble? Recognize that you need others. 
because we all don't do the same things. And for those of us who, who serve regularly in ministry, perhaps feeling like maybe you do way more than your share in the life of the church. You think, man, I just do so much. I do 80% of the work of 20% of the time and all that other stuff, right, you know, that people talk about. But this is important to remember. You're not meant to do this alone. Invite others in. Serve together. Appreciate and utilize the diversity in God's body. There's a book that I, I think is really helpful it's uh, called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Uh, it's a book that kind of explains the, the body and talks about how God designed the body. Dr. Paul Brand is a um, leprosy surgeon, um, and so very interesting uh, background that he has. But this is what he says, speaking of cells. I'm going to read this section. I, I find it to be very helpful. Speaking of cells, he says this, I am struck by their variety. Chemically, my cells are almost all alike, but visually and functionally, they are as different as the animals in the zoo. Red blood cells, like discs resembling lifesaver candies, voyage through my blood, loaded with oxygen to feed the other cells. Muscle cells, which absorb much of that nourishment, are sleek and supple, full of coiled energy. Bone cells live in rigid structures that exude strength. And cut in a cross-section, bones resemble three tree rings overlapping strength with strength, offering impliability and sturdiness. In contrast, skin cells form undulating patterns of softness and texture that rise and dip, giving shape and beauty to our bodies. They curve and jut at unpredictable angles so that every person's fingerprint, and not to mention his or her face, is unique. Oh, I never tire of viewing these varied specimens or thumbing through books which render cells. Individually, they seem puny and oddly designed. But I know that these invisible parts cooperate to lavish me with the phenomenon of life. Just so. Christ's body comprises an unlikely assortment of humans. And the joy of the body increases as individual cells realize they can be diverse without becoming isolated outposts. It's so rich. A Christian's joy is settled not in thinking highly of their individual self, and becoming isolated outposts. But our joy increases when we appreciate the diversity in Christ's body and learn how to work in harmony, one with another, functioning as God designed us to function. So learn to work together for the glory of God and the good of the whole body, even when there's bumps along the way. So as much as we appreciate diversity, perhaps what draws us to work together with our diverse body should be our inherent unity. So as we stay integrated into our church family, we also will cherish our union with Christ. Number four, we'll cherish our union with Christ. 
For as much as it is true that our bodies are made up of bone cells, blood cells, nerve cells, and all the like, they combine together to create one person. No one looks at your body and you look at it and say, you know what? Hi, different cell. Hi, you know, Mr. Bone Cell. Hi, Mr. Blood Cell. No, you look at your body and you say, that's one person with, with many different cells and many different parts. That's what God says the church is, right? We are Christ's body. The church is Christ to the world. He is the one person that we are to represent in everything we say, think, and do. So the local church is to image Christ to each other and to our watching world. Look at verse 5. Romans 12, verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And so our catechism asks, what are the benefits of our union with Christ? The answer is, because we are one with Christ, we are a new creation. We're united with him in his death and his resurrection. All the blessings of salvation are ours in Jesus Christ. Listen, you are saved only because you are one or united with Christ. Only because God looks and he sees not your sin, but his perfect sacrifice for sins in Christ. He sees not us, but he sees us as one with Christ. The only reasonable way for Christians to live then is to be faithfully integrated into Christ's body. That's your church. Paul already told us that what initiated our, our visible connection to a local church, uh, what, what started our connection to a church, go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Paul reminds us here that the thing that kind of represents the initial sign that we're a part of Christ's body is our baptism. Romans 6, verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? So we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And verse 5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, this is why whenever we have baptisms, we welcome people into church membership that same day. Because baptism is a sign that initiates our membership into Christ's body here on earth. And what is the physical sign of our ongoing union with Christ's body? What is the other sign that God gives us that tells us we are to be one with Christ and one with one another? What's the Lord's Supper, right? Those are the two uh, elements the Lord commands us to do regularly. One, when we first become a part of a, um, his body and become Christians, and the other, as an ongoing sign of our union with Christ. 
When we partake of his body and blood broken and shed for us, we represent that we are one with Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 puts it very clearly. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So how rich it is to find our identity, not in being unique, or to think highly of our function or gifting or our cellular strengths that we have, but to cherish our identity in Christ. And as we gather as a church family to image the body of Christ, we are constantly reminded of the glorious gift of union with Christ, of the joy of eternal life, and of eternal priestly care from the very one who made us. To help you understand this, go, go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, we find ourselves in the upper room shortly after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as the ongoing sign of the new covenant of our union with, with him. He prays for his disciples, including us, and look at what he prays in John 17, verse 20. Read with me. John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples who are with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's, that's all of us that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Did you see what's going on there? How does Jesus pray that the world will see him? It's through our unity as a local body. Through our ministry as a church. You see... God is gracious to us and he gives us a church family where we can love each other, we can care for each other because we recognize we're all one with Christ and when we are best able to reflect Christ to the world is when we are best united together as a church family. Not only do we get to be considered united to Christ, but Jesus prays multiple times that we would also recognize that we are united with one another. He prays that the disciples may become one too so that the world will see Christ. He said earlier in John, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so a final reason you should stay integrated into your church family Number five, to remember our union with each other. To remember our union with each other. Go ahead and go back to 
Romans 12. God's plan and purpose for the world is to unite Christians together with such harmony into local churches that every local church would help reveal Jesus. That we would be able to minister to one another since we all are really the least of these. Remember, remember that story where Jesus tells the uh, parable and you know, he says, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? He says, when you do these things to the least of these, it's as if you did them to me. So beloved, when we are one with Christ, when we serve one another, we are those least of these. Specifically, we are designed as a church to love and care for one another, that we will be able to encourage one another to wait for Christ, to love Christ. So Paul very simply reminds us that we are a diverse body, but a body that is to image Christ and to stay united to one another. Look at verse 5 again, Romans 12, verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Well, beloved, part of what it means to offer your body as a living sacrifice is to see your life intertwined with your brother or your sister's life in Christ. As you lift up your voice and sing with all your heart, as you've already done this morning, you are singing to the Lord and you are encouraging one another with these truths. As you watch babies in the nursery switching serving slots because everyone's getting sick, you do it for the Lord and to help a new generation of young families stay faithful. As you greet each other before and after the service, as you speak of life and trials and joys and and God's words and even your happiness over the Lions in the playoffs today, you do so not because you can get, uh, because you want to get something from someone else, but because you want to care for your own body. You do it all because you are a body connected by the bonds of love in Christ. And so as we gather together every week, as we gather together to read and study the Bible, to sing biblical truths and to take the Lord's Supper every month together, as we stay integrated into our church family, this reminds us we're not alone. We have a family and you're a part of a body. So don't fool yourself into thinking that you're better by yourself. Or that you can work against your brother or sister because you don't like how they act or how they think. Or that God somehow wants you to be a free agent, isolated Christian. Or that your church family is somehow unimportant to be a part of. God designed you to stay in intimate fellowship with your church. Remember what Ecclesiastes 4 says and Jesus himself repeats. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. God made you to function best in your church family. He even gives you unique gifts and abilities for the building up of his body. Really, that's where Paul goes in the following verses. He's going to talk about the different ways that we have been gifted in order to serve and glorify God in our church family. And so next week, as we continue to see what it looks like to live your life as a living sacrifice for Christ's church, we're going to answer the question, what 
exactly our spiritual gifts and how should we be using ours? Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to study your word. We thank you so much that we are a part of your body. We thank you so much that you have shown us very clearly that you have designed us to be members of a body. That when we believe and trust in you and as we have been baptized as Christians, we integrate ourselves publicly and in an ongoing sense to a church family. Lord, I pray for those of us who are members of this church that we would be able to glorify you with our lives, that we would be able to recognize the propensity towards pride in our own lives and be able to turn from that in humility, love, and serve one another that we would have sober self-assessment and to recognize that even the faith that we have is a gift from you. Help us, Lord, to recognize the diversity and the differences that we see around us, not as an impediment, impediment to, to some sort of happiness, but as an opportunity to see your beauty and glory in saving people who are different than ourselves. And so even as we might get annoyed with people who are different than us and who think differently than us and who act differently than us, Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond in grace and love and sacrificial love towards all. That as we love one another, the world might be able to see the love of Christ. That we would be able to image Christ more clearly to Farmington, to everyone who interacts with us. Thank you for the gift of belonging to a church, and I pray that we would be faithful to be good stewards of this privilege. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.